looking at the issue of the common belief today and the practice, the strength of that practice of the issue of parental causes. And uh, I did give us uh, a passage, which is John chapter 9, if you remember. John chapter 9. And uh, basically, we're looking at the issue of reincarnation. And then we talk about karma. We talk about soul transmigration. And uh, I made us to understand that these three concepts or worlds are common worlds that transcend a lot of philosophical groups, both Christians to an extent, unconsciously anyway, then Hinduism, and then Rosicrucians, the Ikanka, and all and all. So we try to look at it precisely. Uh, how did it fit in as far as the issue of Christianity is concerned? Do we have anything like that? And uh, I made us understand from John chapter 9 is the story from verse 1 to, I think verse 1 to uh, 7 we read. It's a story of a man that was born blind from birth. And uh, they came to ask Jesus who was born blind. Either the parent or the boy. And I tried to make you see that that was kind of teaching all the belief of reincarnation. Uh, because reincarnation is believed to occur when the soul or spirit, after the death of the body, comes back to life in a newborn baby or body. And uh, I tried to make you understand that the belief, the way it is, is you keep coming again and again and again until that spirit is perfected. So by implication, the body is only a medium to purify the sinning spirit. And so uh, recently I, 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 I dropped something. It was difficult for people to make comments about it. I asked who is teaching reincarnation. And from the way we look at it, if Jesus coming again in the way we believe it, for what purpose? Amen. Because it's the sinning soul that keeps making this repeated journey to come to the place of perfection. So how is it that we can bring in Christ in this journey? And so indirectly, we can be believing in reincarnation. Indirectly. Unconsciously. Because what he was supposed to do he has done. In fact, he said, it is finished. And in John 16, verse 10, like I quoted when I asked a question on Facebook, he said, I go to my father and you see me no more. Amen? So it is important. And if we come to realize that the body of Jesus was simply a body of sacrifice to appropriate for the sins of men and that have been achieved, I find it a little bit difficult about the issue of his second coming. Because the question is, what is he coming for? What is it? Sin have been dealt with. His body represents the lands, all the sacrificial offerings, that were always offered. 
he came to offer the sacrifice once and for all. And the purpose of the sacrifice is to bring us back to God because we're enemies of God. Now he reconciled us to God. And so now we stand as sons to the Father. And then the scripture is talking about creation again, waiting for the sons of God. So the question is, what is the purpose of his second coming? So when we drag this in the way we teach it, we're indirectly teaching reincarnation. He incarnated, but he didn't reincarnate. The incarnation was his initial, when you talk about incarnation, don't, don't forget. Incarnation is the spirit taking on the body. Reincarnation is that same spirit repeating the journey over and over and over. Now the purpose of repeating this journey is for himself or the spirit to be perfected. By implication, that spirit is a sinning spirit that needs perfection. And no, again we find that Jesus is not a sinner. And so if he died, so why is he coming again? For purification? Because he's not a sinner. He's a perfect man. So why do you need him to come back in that form again? So indirectly, we are teaching reincarnation, unconsciously. And again, let us not forget, for the sake of recording, somebody asked me the question indirectly anyway, but we're only discussing this, but he asked a question, and I asked the question. They were asking me a question, you know, definitely if I move out to teach, John 14 must come. You are sure of that. <laughs> and the question I asked was, come again. He didn't say second time, he said come again. So what does come again mean? In the first place in Genesis, you find that when the three men came, met with Abraham, and then they were to go, they told them Isaac was going to be born. Abraham didn't believe, Sarah loved. Remember that? Okay. And then he made them to understand, this time again, I will come. Now, but we do know that there was no visitation physically from any quarter. So how do we know that there was another visitation? Isaac was born. Amen? So the fact that Isaac was born means he came again. Are you picking this? In, in, in Genesis 11, we have a similar picture. But the Lord said, let us go down and confirm the language. Let the build it all up to heaven. No physical being came. But the fact that the language of those building the tower of Babel was confused, it therefore means God came down. Because it was a let us go down. That was, that was a statement. Let us go down. So the fact that the language of the people got confused shows God came down. But there was no physical being. But he came down. Are you following this? So coming down is not necessarily an, a physical being. It's not necessarily that. You see? So when Jesus said, I'm coming again, he came again because he went to the Father, the Holy Spirit came. He came again. But now we use the word come again to mean second coming. It doesn't agree with scriptures. It doesn't agree. Okay, so I'm looking at all of these to be able to 
make our mind get into a kind of focus as to what God's intention is supposed to be. If you say incarnation, fine. He came in the flesh, fine. Right? And is he coming today in the flesh? Hallelujah. Through you and me. So let's understand that. Okay, now. Now, like I was saying, reincarnation is already tied up to the world, trans, the, the transmigration of soul. That transmigration of soul also means a soul that I've seen in a previous life. In fact, as we go on, I may not have the time to do a lot of that because it's a little bit deep. You find that even the, the Hinduist, Hinduism and part of those Indian teaching, they will believe that you sin in the realm of spirit before you come here. You see? Now the idea is you sin in the realm of spirit, you come here so that you use this body to walk on your sinning nature. I mean, I don't understand, but that is the concept. Okay, now. So soul transmigration. That soul transmigration actually has to do with the soul that's seen in the realm of spirit comes here to take a body to help itself get out of the sinning condition. And if you can perfect it, you come back again. So it's close to reincarnation. You come back again and again and again and again. You keep on transmigrating, transmigrating. And I pray a soul have not taken over your body. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Okay. All right. Remember, the question they asked in John now is who did sin? Is that all right? Now, it means they are saying, is it the spirit of the father that have transmigrated into this man that he was born blind as a way of punishment? Are you getting that now? Or is it the spirit of this man that sinned in the realm of spirit and now took this body as a way of punishment and pain for the sins it committed? Can you imagine the reasoning? And Jesus answered, I said, none of them sin. Hmm? Now, the Pythagoreans, you remember in, in mathematics, you have the Pythagorean theorem. Amen? Yeah, you got it. Alright. So, the, the Pythagoreans believed the souls of men were sent into other bodies for the punishment of some sins which they had committed in a pre-existent state. That's their theory. And you know, the Pythagoreans have to do with the Greeks, the philosophers, and all of that. So, basically, this question that was asked to Jesus is directly connected to that. And then I gave you another scripture in the book of Luke chapter 13, where people came to Jesus and they asked 13 verse 1. You just wonder how this thing connects to Christianity. Too real. So that you can know that the soul that sinners shall die. And the father will not bear the sins of the mother or, or the son. And the son will not bear the sins of the father. Because also mine. We're coming to that. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 13 verse 1 and 2. There was present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said unto them. Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Of those generations upon whom, all those generations upon whom they tore in silver and fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men 
that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now, it is the same concept. Now, they came to Jesus. They were trying to tell him, look at the Galileans. To them, Herod wouldn't have been able to do that except these guys were sinners. And you know, we have the same belief. When you see things happen to people, the first thing that comes to your mind, he sinned. You don't even think of natural occurrences. He sinned. If he doesn't sin, it's the devil. I gave you a story here. I was ministering alongside a man in South Africa. Joseph by name. And we were to have a meeting together. And then he couldn't come on time. He was supposed to minister before me in the schedule. He couldn't come on time. So I told um, Cabello, I said, let's go and fetch him. So we went along the road for him. The car broke down along the center of the road. And then I said, okay, get into our car while they find a way to bring the car. So... In fact, the tire went out, so they took him out. And in the course of administration, he said the devil didn't want him to come to the meeting. And the devil almost wanted to kill him. But God just saved his life. Well, I didn't say anything. Incidentally, next day, he invited me to his church to preach. When I got there, I found out they had bought a new BMW car. And I said, man, now I know the devil that wanted to kill you. It was an old BMW. <laughs> he said, how do you mean, David? I said, this, this one, the devil can't remove the tire. The devil can't remove this tire. That one was too old for you. He said, I think I believe you. I said, yeah, you are. You're only looking for reasons for things that happen. You put the nuts there, the tire won't jump out. So we're coming the other day, the tire went out. And this guy told us he had been complaining of that shaft all this while. Where is the devil? Amen? So what am I saying here? The same thing. This thing happened to these people say, don't you think it's because of their sins? That is why Herod killed them. Again, they were linking into some pre-existent things. Hallelujah. So understand that what I'm trying to say, these things have been there. And accidentally, even Christians believe it unconsciously. I preached in a church in Liberia. I didn't know this guy was into this parental causes thing. They just invited me to go preach there the last day. <laughs> and I was talking and somehow I spoke on this. I found out the guy was cold. And so later my host was telling me that is the area of this man. He's a specialist in breaking of causes. But the whole church, I mean they were agog. It was so much joy for them. So much joy. And one of them just he, he was speaking I wasn't hearing about talking to somebody. I like the way this man, there is no area he doesn't touch. Because the message was just on and on and on like that. So, in fact, people have this. Now, that is what we're going to look at again. Exodus 20. We have only been saying it here, but I want you to look at it very closely. In relation to uh, the strength of what that belief stands for. As to who sinned. Right? Okay, Exodus 20, that's the nearest scripture you can get. But I'm going to give you several scriptures that really makes you know this thing can't hold. Now, he said, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, that is talking about graven images, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. All of you know that the key word there is the word hatred. Is that all right? 
if you don't hate God, iniquities cannot be visited. You just have to know that. The verse says, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So the, the key word for, or the easiest way for deliverance is, you love God, you keep his commandments. Hallelujah. You love God, you keep his commandments. Once you don't hate him, whatever thing your father did have nothing to do with your life. Absolutely nothing. I read the scripture too, and it was a major, major relief for so many people. I simply asked, how many of you hate God here? They say, none of them said they hate God. I said, okay, fine. Therefore, that thing cannot work on you. Amen? And again, like my friend from the U.S., he was so amazed when I showed him the scripture, and he said, man, I can see myself in the fifth generation, so I'm not carrying anything along with me. I said, God bless you for understanding because he said, third and fourth generation. So if you're on the fifth, no. He said, iniquity is to under the third and the fourth, not to the fifth. Once you get to the fifth, you are free. You only need to locate your generation. Where are you? <laughs> I mean, that's God's word. So you can't be hanging on the causes and you don't follow what follows there. You follow what follows there. It's not just one scripture in absentia. Other things are tied together with it. He gave the condition why he would do that. And you talk about fourth generation. It stops there. When you get to the fifth, you break loose. Amen? All right. Okay, now. So, the next thing I want to consider, I'm just trying to recap the issue of reincarnation. Next thing I want to deal with is the issue of the word karma. K-A-R-M-A. And you know, this is a common teaching too. Hallelujah. Okay. This is a concept of Action or deed understood as that which causes the entire circle of cause and effect. Uh, basically, even in the natural, we have this kind of thinking. Uh, the Hindu world people, other people, they call it the sam, samsara. is the law of cause and effect. Originating, it actually originates in India. And it's treated in Hinduism, Jain, Buddhist, and the sacred philosophies. They believe in this so strongly. Kama is an Indian religious concept in contradiction to the faith propagated by Jesus Christ, as far, I mean by Abraham, as far as I'm concerned. Abraham, remember, is the father of faith. Is that okay? All right. The just shall live by faith. Now, I want you to consider this very seriously. Because there are some things you do and you say, unknown to you, you can be preaching or teaching Hallelujah. Abraham simply said the judge shall live by faith. And that is why it's a difficult thing sometimes when you use the word so in a ripping. You must try to define what you're saying. It's very important. When you teach so in a ripping, you must try to define and put yourself in a position. Otherwise, you cannot consciously be agreeing because while you may use your own for financial issues, other uses it in an extension of you sinning now and reaping the consequences on the other side of life. You have to understand. Are you catching this? It's very crucial. So you must define what you're saying. When you say so, you know, repeat. Otherwise, you also be teaching the laws of karma. Hallelujah. But basically, the way Abraham issue comes up is a complete contradiction. 
contradistinction, if you will, between what the Greek philosophers and other people, religious people, Indian people teaches as compared to ours. In their own teaching, if you sin, you reap on the other side of life. In other words, you sin now and your sin catches up with you on the other side. But if I must teach it that way, I think you see now, you reap it now. Not on the other side. While you are still alive. You don't postpone the reaping till when you get down to the realm of spirit. You reap it while you are alive. It must catch up with you. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, even Islam doesn't seem to agree too strongly with that as well. You know. Okay. This law actually views all human drama as the will of God as opposed to present and past life actions. I, I want you to understand this and it's very, very important. To them, your past, your present, your future is a circle of events based on your sinning situation. Released by God. I don't know if you are catching this. In order, your past, your present, your future. And that also brings it to be a close relation, if I may use the word, with reincarnation. So, the unfolded drama is everything you are passing through, you are paying for something which you have done previously. Hallelujah. So, it's a circle of deed and reward, deeds and reward, or as the case may be. Amen. I have a note here. In the, the theistic school of Hinduism, humans have free will to choose a good or choose good or evil and suffer the consequences, which require the will of God to implement karma's consequences. All right. In other words, the consequences of the sin you suffer is directly in the hands of God. And like I'm saying, it could be the past, it could be future, it could be present. Amen. All right. In Indian beliefs, the karmic effect of all these are viewed as actively shaping past, present, and future experiences. The result or fruit of actions are called karma fala in India. In other words, you are not living any life that you didn't cause. By implication, even if it is prosperity, you are responsible for it based on either your past life or your present life and what you've done. That is Indian belief for you. And to them, it is God that implements those actions. So if God seems to be such a good man, you understand that? He gives you good things, make things right for you and things like that. If God seems to be a bad man, he implements evil occurrences in your life and then you begin to reap it. So to them, nothing happens in life without something that you have done before. How do you like that? Can you believe karma? <laughs> it's a serious thing. Anything can happen. Anything can happen in life without you being responsible. The righteous man still suffers. Am I talking here? Righteous man still can encounter anything. So, how do you trace that to be a karmic effect? It's not true. Even a wicked man, to an extent, can prosper. Yeah. 
And so the scripture says the weight of the righteous is laid off for, I mean the weight of the wicked is laid off for the righteous. That means the wicked man can have wealth. So what is the effect that made God to give him wealth if God is the one that implements karmic laws? Hallelujah. Okay, let's progress a little bit. We have a couple of scriptures to read. <sighs> Western civilization, the concept of karma is part of the worldview of many millions of people throughout the world. Many Western cultures or with a Christian upbringing have incorporated, and I like this, a notion of karma. Actually, I have to go study out something from Wikipedia. Wikipedia is a free encyclopedia that you can find on the internet. It's an encyclopedia of anything you can find on the internet. If you know how to use your, I mean your, your internet very well. So I have to go to Wikipedia and I have to go down there and this is what they told me there. Hallelujah. Okay. Say, I read it again. The concept of karma is part of the worldview of many millions of people throughout the world, many in Western cultures, or with a Christian upbringing having incorporated a notion of karma. And I like the way it is placed. Incorporated. The Christian concept of reaping what you sow from Galatians 6 7 can be considered equivalent to karma. Now, that is what we we're going to look at. What was Paul saying? Amen? Okay. According to karma, read on again. According to karma, performing positive action results in a good condition in one's experience, whereas a negative action results in a bad effect. The effect may be seen immediately or delayed. Delay can be until later in the present life or in the next. Thus, meritorious acts may mean rebirth into a higher station, such as a superior human or a godlike being. Why evil acts result in rebirth as human living in less desirable circumstances or as a lower animal? Glory to God. Please, I want you to follow. The teaching of karma is saying, if you live well, you can come back again. But the whole thing I want you to understand the issue of coming back again. Karma is saying you can come back again because you live very well now. All of you are living well. Some of you have faith in this, please. I would like you to start living well because... You can come back and become a very good human being. Amen? <laughs> That's what it teaches. And if you do evil, if you're wicked, you can come back and become a lesser human being in a very bad circumstance, or you can even become an animal to pay for your past deed. And I told you before that some people even extend it to the point that if you were stingy, remember I mentioned that? If you were a stingy person in this life, God can send you down here to become a mango tree so that men can eat of your fruit. You become generous because you can't conserve the fruit. You must bear fruit for people to eat. That, that is common. That's the kind of thinking. So was this the thing that was in the mind of Paul when he was talking about karma? Because Christians are incorporating it indirectly without properly examining what Paul was saying in Galatians 6. Hallelujah. Okay, fine. Now, in Genesis 1 verse 11, for instance, because here Kama is saying, 
If you do well, you can come back and become a better person. It could be possible that you are doing very good and you come back, you become a president, maybe. <laughs> or, just like I said, you come like a pussycat. You know, or you can, maybe you become a dog so that you can guide the house. Maybe you were killing people before. Something like that. I don't know. Right. But Genesis 1.11 says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit yielding fruit, after what? His own kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Seed in itself. You know, the power of reproduction is locked up within every seed. So there is no way a human being can reproduce a dog. The gene for the reproduction of a dog is locked up within the dog species. Every seed must bring forth its own kind. Hallelujah. Are you catching this? Hallelujah. Alright. And again, if you look at Mark Chapter 12, you find the same thing. Verse 26 down to 29. Jesus gave the parable of the kingdom and he says, like into a seed, that man will sow on his seed, on his feet, and he won't say anything about it. He doesn't care about it, as the case may be. He goes down to sleep. It's about the seed bring forth of his own because there is power within the seed to produce. He brings forth a 30-fold, a 60-fold, and a a hundredfold. The power of reproduction is locked up within every seed. So human seed, which is the power of reproducing a human being, cannot, hallelujah, become that of a dog. Except you're looking at something like crossbreeding. I don't know how it's going to work. Hallelujah. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, now, so look at Galatians 6. So that Genesis 1 tells us precisely, and Mark 12 tells us precisely, that the issue of a man becoming a dog does not answer to biblical truth. Amen? Praise the Lord. Galatians 6. Uh, let's look at 7. Be not mocked. Be not deceived, or be not mocked. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap what? Life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, Paul was not by any means discussing the issue of karma. But he was using the principle of agriculture to teach us how to, if I may use the word, invest. Amen? Praise the living God. Now the key word that you need to look at also talking about sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit. How do you sow to the flesh? How do you sow to the spirit? It's clearly stated. Dealing with the issue of that which is God and that which is man. Hallelujah. In fact, if you follow what uh, Moses said, he simply said very clearly, 
the soul that's in it, that do shall die. That is what it's supposed to be. And that's exactly what Ezekiel himself said. Okay. So, sowing in this context is dealing with moral actions. Let me put it in terms of assisting humanity. And doing that in relation to your new life in Christ as opposed to your previous life as not as he that doesn't know God. Canal works, spiritual works. Praise the living God. Okay, verse 5. If you need to go back again to verse 5, it's very important. Verse 5 and 6. 5 and 6. They have nothing to do with parents. I have nothing to do with that. Look at that. For every man shall bear his own burden. Is that okay? Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all what good things. Be not deceived. You just see the connection. So you can take just verse 7 and use that to teach karma. Paul was addressing an issue basically that is in the church. The negligence of the ministers of the word of God as touching, ministering to them material things for the upkeep and assistance. That is what Paul was dealing with. He wasn't dealing. But now, like we read before, the Christian community is more or less trying to incorporate this into their belief, which basically is opposed to what Abraham taught, if I may use the word. Hallelujah. Again, he says, some observers have compared the action of karma to Western notions of sin and judgment by God. Or gods. While others understand, understand karma as an inherent principle of the universe without the intervention of any supernatural being. So, you have to look at it from both ways. For instance, is it God implementing the consequences of what you did? Or it is just natural? That there are some things you do and you get the result. To me, I believe in the second aspect. You can definitely pay for your mistakes in life. Not God implementing any judgment because of the mistakes you made. Am I correct here? That is why you find that the brother I made mention of, his car was out of shape, but he was driving it on the highway in the night. It was his own carelessness. It was not God that removed the tires, neither was it the devil. It's a natural consequence of your negligence from taking good observation of very minor things in life. In fact, the choice you make in life has their own consequences. God is not implementing anything. So you can link this to a spiritual issue that God is the one responsible for implementing the consequences of anything. Not at all. Your choice in life matters a lot. Your actions in life matters a lot. Praise the Lord. Are we following this? Very important. You will definitely, I believe in it in a, in a form of universal law, which is natural, anytime, anywhere. Your actions definitely will draw a reaction. It is just natural. No gods or God is implementing anything consequence. But the way the Christian teaches, because when you talk about sinning and dying are the consequences of things, you are also indirectly, indirectly teaching the law of karma. 
in a way. You understand what I'm trying to say here? Now, watch this. Ailed is a disease that everybody knows. Now, any man who is promiscuous, as the case may be, definitely will contradict. It's not God implementing a virus in the life of that man. But just inability to keep to natural laws of abstinence or not being callous with your life. Am I communicating here? It's not God. God is not implementing it because you find yourself in sexual misbehavior. It's just a natural thing. Scientifically that you can contact it if the opposite sex has it. Is that okay? It's, it has nothing to do with God. One beat. Nothing. Hallelujah. I try to look at the scripture. He that cursed, he that did something to a father, bring it up to shame. Is it the cursed father? Some of the scriptures say. Eh? Will be cut short. Fine. Now, how is it so? Is it, a, is it that God is going to cause your life to be cut short? But you know it is your father that blesses you. We talk of parental blessing in relation to inheritance. You cause your father. Your life will be cut short. In other words, life itself will not spring forth. It's just natural. Because it takes your father to bless you. Hallelujah. It takes your father to make some pronouncement about your life. It takes your father to lay up some inheritance for you. Praise the Lord. So please, let's understand this thing so that we don't indirectly be agreeing with human philosophy and thoughts in our belief system. Why am I taking time to say all of this? So that you can get your mind off from the issue of parental causes that are pursuing you even after 20, 30 years of knowing the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you can remember I've blot out all your iniquities? You still remember that message? Holy strong. Because remember, I, I was sharing in, in, in Liberia, I was sharing divine government. I don't know if I've taught it in this place once. It'll be okay. You see, the word government comes from two words. Govern and meant. The prefix meant and mentor is from the Latin word meant. So when you say government, you are actually talking about the control of the mind. So any thought that controls your mind is governing you. And when you are being governed by any system, you reap from the system that is governing you. So what I'm teaching you changes your mind from a line of forms of thought and philosophy to do what? To govern your life. That is why a lot of Christians can't be truly delivered because they are being governed by another mindset. I'm going to teach on divine government in this church so that you can understand it. It's very important. If your mind can be reshaped. Now, I'm not talking about your mind in a sense because you have, if I may use the word, you have your mind, you have your heart. And then you have the mind which comes from Romans 7. Another law working in my mind against the law of Christ. Remember that? 
the law that was working in his mind, that mind there is monotonous in relation to the mind of getting close to the mind of Christ. Is actually dealing with intellect. What Paul was trying to say there, I have time to teach you all of this. What Paul was trying to say there was, I'm supposed to move into what Christ is saying, but the laws I read in the Jewish order is interfering with my understanding. Did you get this? <laughs> okay, we'll come to that. I, I spoke to my, my friend, we're talking about, I said the problem with true migration is intellect based on your previous knowledge. Intellect based on your previous knowledge. Those of you who do education, we did education, you understand what previous knowledge means. It's difficult for you to make progress educationally because of previous knowledge. And it's also easy for you to make progress educationally because of previous knowledge. You use the previous knowledge to back up the present. But you see, when it comes to a spiritual issue, your previous knowledge is an interference instead of assisting you to make progress. You are making wrong judgment and wrong comparison. In spiritual matters. I will make you see that. Hallelujah. Okay. So, like in Hinduism, God plays a role and is seen as dispenser of karma and so on and so forth. We don't have much time to be dealing with all of this. So, now, now, now. Uh, let me go down very quickly to a few things we need to observe. So, for all said and done, to a universal opinion among the Jews also, that calamity of all kinds were the effect of sin. Like I said before. And we read the scripture on that in Luke 13. Remember that? They were pointing that to Jesus. The house fell on them. We read uh, John chapter 9. The man that was born blind. Hallelujah. Now, they also did believe in relation to the children, for instance. The man that was born blind. They also believed that when your parents sin, certain things can definitely happen to the baby that is being given birth to. In other words, they believe that an infant might sin before it was born. And that consequently, this blindness, like in John 9, might have come upon the child as a consequence of that. In other words, they believe that a child can sin, and that's a serious place. But you see, the closest, I'm saying the Jews believe this. You can read the books of Light Food. Light Food make you see that. They believe it's a Jewish, one of the Jewish philosophers, as the case may be. Now, the closest scripture you can have to back up such a thing is Psalm 51 verse 5. I'm trying to help him. It says, Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Have you read that? But he wasn't saying the child sinned. He was always saying, I picked iniquity from my mother. Why? Because he's in Adam. Do you understand this? The child is equally, is, in fact, the child is crying out. My condition is because of my mother. But it's not as if he's suffering a sin because what he's saying, all human beings are shaped through that medium of iniquity. Find the system of everyone born as a human being. That is why you need to be born again. That is what Sam was writing about. Hallelujah. In other words, the propensity to sin is locked up within the system of man right from the fall in the book of Genesis. In fact, the day God said, let us move out the dust of the ground, sin was introduced. Because the ability to sin was given to man. 
right from that place, flesh took over. Understand it. So, the partaking of the tree was not even the beginning in the true sense. Man already fell before he fell. When he fell was when he was brought into the arts. And then he only manifested what the art carried by eating of the tree. Hallelujah. You see? So, I, I don't seem to agree with what Lightfoot have to say. That the child can sin, and then that's why maybe that man was born blind. No. Not at all. Hallelujah. Are you there? Okay. Now, this is one of the philosophies. Let me explain. This is one of the philosophies why... Sometimes people believe. Now, those who believe the child has a pre-existence can accept this. But there are other camps that say the child has no pre-existence until the child is born. And that the spirit infused into the child. And such crimes, for instance, like what this guy is teaching here, like food and other would teach. That's why they said they don't believe in abortion. Because they feel you have a life even before you enter your mother's womb. Fine. Or I can say, you don't have life until you give him to. And the breath of God. So when you breathe the air, that is the breath of God that was breathed in Adam. So, you can be terminated because you have no life. Are you getting what I'm talking about? These are the views. Now, but the point is, the scripture tells us in Jeremiah 1, in your mother's womb, before I formed you, I call you as a prophet. So, he has life before he was born. That is the position of the scripture. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's move a little bit fast. Now, uh, parents, of course, it was also a doctrine with many that the crime of the parent might be the cause of deformity in a child, particularly in violation of his commandments. Okay. For instance, this man was born blind. Let's look at Exodus 4. Because Jesus made a statement and he said, this was meant to glorify God. Am I right? Okay. Let's look at Exodus 4. And we look at 10 and then 11. And here, Moses was speaking to God. God said, he spoke to God and said, look, I can't go because um, I can't speak. And here was God talking to Moses. And Moses said unto the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who had made man's mouth? Or who had made the dumb or deaf or the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Amen? What is God trying to say? I take responsibility. Not because somebody seen like in John 9. And this, like I was studying on the Lord, this is what the Lord made me to understand. It is God that did all this. That is why he is also the one that heals the blind, the lame, and the dumb. He who can cause a thing can also revive it. This is exactly. So Mark 9, for instance, you see, <coughs> excuse me, you see the issue of Herod. And uh, the Bible says, Mark, Matthew chapter 11 rather, and the one said, verse 1, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in the cities. And uh, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Are thou here that should come, or do we look for another? 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are clean, and the deaf fear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Hallelujah. What am I trying to say? He who can make the dumb, the blind, the deaf, can also open their ears, make them see, and make them speak. What he was trying to tell Moses is this. If you think you are dumb, I can make you speak. Amen? So one of the reasons why we must believe in miracles in this dimension is because God who allowed it can reverse it. That's just what he tells me. Now, what am I saying? It has nothing one bit to do with the parents. Simple. Not one bit. So you can tag it up to karma. You can tag it up to soul transmigration. You can tag it up to reincarnation. Not one bit. You can't connect it. God is all in all doing what he wants to do. Some vessel unto honor, some vessel unto dishonor. He is in charge. Hallelujah. But don't forget this. He that is born blind can receive sight because he who made him blind can also give him sight. So I believe in miracles because God is in charge. Now, look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. Very important. We've got about five minutes, but we need to read all of this. Deuteronomy 24, look at verse 16. At the mouth of two or three witnesses, every case of war shall be established. 24, 16. The fathers shall not be put to death for their children. Neither shall the children be put to death for their fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Can I hear hallelujah to that? Every man. You can't bear the consequence of your father. Moses said that. Okay, quickly go to Exodus. I mean Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Verse 1. Ezekiel 18 from verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto me again saying, Are we out there in Ezekiel? What me ye that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are on edge. Huh? Okay. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all sins are mine, and the soul of the father, so also the son of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, he shall do what? Yet ye say, Why? Go to verse 19. Very important. Verse 19. Yet ye say, why does not the son bear the iniquity of the father? Now, don't you forget. See, I want you to connect this. I want you to connect this to Exodus 20 again. God is saying, he said, you shall no longer. It's like there was a belief. He said, you shall no longer. And people come and say, ah, why are you saying that? It's like they were trying to say, God, you remember Exodus 20? Is that all right? Look at the question, verse 19. Yet say ye, why? Does not the son bear the iniquity of the father? When the son had done that which is lawful and right, God is replying, I have kept all my status. Look at that. And I have done them. He shall surely live. Now I want you to find your position today. The question is, 
God, why will you say that? Your law says you visit the iniquities of the fathers unto the son, third and fourth generation. Now you are saying you can't use it again. What about that scripture? God said, no, listen to me. Your action today in relation to keeping my laws and commandments delivers you from your parental causes. Look at the next in verse 20. The soul that sinner shall die. The, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall do what? Shall be upon him. And I now say, but if the wicked turn from his sins that he are committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, he shall live. What is our righteousness? Christ is our righteousness. So whether it's the one you committed or the one your great-grandfather committed, your response to Christ's sacrifice today delivers you from them all. Hallelujah. Let me back it up from the New Testament. And you see, the only reason you can continue to carry parental causes, Luke chapter 11. The only reason why you could still believe it, if you believe it, then you are part of this people we want to read about. Hallelujah. Remember, Moses said it, you are free. Ezekiel said it, you are free. Jesus is giving another condition by which you can not be freed if you don't want to. Look at it. I'm reading verse 47. Luke 11 verse 47. Woe unto you, for you build the sepulchres of the prophet and your fathers killed them. Till you bear witnesses that you allow the deeds of your father. Notice the word deed. Luke 11, 47. For they indeed kill them and you build their sepulchres. In other words, you are accepting and believing and continuing the ministry of your fathers. So if your father was an idol worshiper and you are an idol worshiper, you can bear the consequences. Am I talking to someone here? Good. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they shall slay and persecute. That the blood of all the prophets which was shared from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Obel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perish between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Why is the blood being required? Because they are continuing. If I may use the word, the minister of your father. Your father had a minister of killing people. Now this part of a minister of continuing to do what? To kill people. So the bloodline continues. That is the only condition. But as long as you are not doing what your father did, none of the consequences of your father's sins shall rest upon you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Just like we read in Galatians, remember? We read that in the book of Galatians. It said, let every man bear his own burden. Every man. You don't bear the burden of your father, your father will not bear your burden. So, I want to say, you can continue to accept, don't forget, the issue of the mental issue. You can continue to accept the belief that one thing that your father did some years back, even while you were yet born, is affecting your life today. 
is not scripturally backed up. There is no evidence to it. The philosophers may say it. Hinduism may say it. Indian religion may say it. But it doesn't pertain to us. Live out your life and don't think you have to do something so that when you come back, you have to be something else. Hallelujah. He sent you here to fulfill a purpose. Jesus came here to fulfill a purpose. Jeremiah was sent for a purpose. You are also sent for a purpose. You are not sent to be able to misbehave so that you may have another chance to come back. That is not what the Bible teaches. Praise the living God. So when it comes to the issue of reincarnation, the word of God is silent about it. When I use the word silent, there is no approval. When it comes to karma, there is no approval. When it comes to soul transmigration, there is no approval. I told you the other day when the Bible said, people said, Elijah have come already, therefore Elijah has to do with John the Baptist, as the case may be. I made you to understand. Luke chapter 1, 15 to 17 tells us precisely, he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And I try to explain to you, there could be a spirit with which you walk and do your ministry. For instance, God called you as an apostle, a prophet, whatever it is, a spirit with which, that's why the Bible says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Your, the spirit is different from your spirit but the spirit uses you to achieve what the spirit is supposed to do that is not so transmigration but another spirit sent by God energizing your spirit to fulfill a particular mission or ministry that is the way it was with John the Baptist God bless you